0: Hello everyone and welcome to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being for busy working mums and women in business and beyond who are seeking to unplug from their worries and overwhelm to light up with insight and joy. I, your host, mum, and effortless lifestyle coach Marina Pearson, talk to transformational professionals, business owners and creatives about what it really takes to have a business in life you can truly enjoy. If you enjoyed the show or had any questions, why not connect with me on Instagram at Marina Pearson? Look out for the show's meme, and make a comment there, or just click on my story and ask me a question. Alternatively, you can find me on the Joy of Being Facebook group. And if you'd like a more personalized touch to live a stress-free life, then why not find out more about the Joy of Being Retreat? An intimate four-day profound experience at a luxury venue in Javier, Spain, where you get to experience your inner calm and peace of mind by slowing down and making space. To find out more, email me at marina marinapearson.com with the joy of being retreat in the title. So today I'm interviewing the incredible JG, Jason Goldberg. So what is an award-winning entrepreneur, a TEDx speaker, and a baconitarian? That's a vegetarian, he still eats bacon, a funky sock lover, a former rapper, who opened up for the Wu Tang clan and previously a 332-pound man who also lost over 130 pounds despite his affinity to bacon have in common. They're all the same guy. So Jason Goldberg, what can I say about Jason? Well, Jason I met at the Awesomeness Festival where he shared the stage with Vision and Kiani. And what I immediately Felt from him was his exuberance and joy, and his incredible capacity to rap. He is what you would define as the essence of joy and creativity. And he shares his gifts with others, coaches, speakers, leaders, to do exactly the same. And his whole theme is around doing business and doing life with less seriousness, less stress, and less struggle. So this is why I invited him onto the program today, because his message is really at the heart what the joy of being is all about. So we delve right on in there, talking about joy, what it can do for you and the prosperity, but also how it can allow you to get far better results than if you're in that hustling and struggling mode. So if you find yourself in the hustle, if you find yourself in the struggle, then this is going to be a great episode for you to get a whole new way of thinking about joy and how you're coming to your work.
1: So please welcome the amazing Jason Goldberg. So, oh my God, Jason
0: Goldberg, how wonderful to have you here today. Oh. And Jason, I met you, Awesomeness first all those centuries ago, it seems. <laughs> And I instantly felt a connection to your vibe, to your energy, to your joy, to your capacity to rap. Oh, my God. Wow. But just your energy, it's so full of joy and fun. I instantly gravitated towards you and I'm so so excited to have you here today to talk about joy and what it can really do for you. I'm curious about what your journey has been with joy, Jason, because I know that you do the coaching around play and fun and joy and what can that can bring. So I'm curious about how that all came about.
1: Like most children, I won't say all children, because I don't know all children's situations, but most children, joy is kind of innately what they do before we start screwing with them and teaching them that there's a a more adult effective way to be in the world. So I think for me, I just was exposed to a lot of joy in my family. And what I mean by that is I had, you know, I was raised by a single mother as an only child. So we didn't have a traditional household. But my uncles and mainly my uncles were very funny, like one uncle in particular, was just always cracking jokes, typically inappropriate jokes. So he'd be the one like at, at any religious kind of dinner, my family's Jewish, but we'd very rarely practice it. But we would have these dinners because my grandparents wanted us to have dinners that were you know, based around the Jewish holidays. And my one uncle, Bob, would always crack jokes and it would just crack us up. My grandmother hated it, but the rest of us all would just you know, crack up with joy. What I was exposed to, he was actually the one I kind of credit with building up my comedic prowess, being around him so much. But it really was just a thing where you know I liked feeling happy. I don't think I knew that as a kid. I was like, I'm going to choose joy because that feels happy. I saw how much joy... It brought people when my uncle would perform, because to me, that was a performance. He was just cracking jokes at the table, but to me, it was a performance. And so I started kind of performing in that way. So I would be the one, you know, me and my and a few of my cousins, we would do little performances in the living room. Like my grandmother's house, she had this like sunken living room, and uh, everybody would kind of sit around on couches and chairs and sit around at a piano. And me and two of my cousins would do like these little dance and singing things, or we were just trying to make people happy and make them laugh. And that just became my thing. I just really loved how it felt to see people light up and be happy and be joyful because of something I was saying or something I was doing. And so that just kind of stuck with me.
0: That's so beautiful because what you said earlier on, I really want to come back to that. You know, when we are in our element as kids and that freedom that we have to express, but somehow when we become an adult, now it's really serious business. You know, to be an adult is serious business, right? Yeah. So when you became an adult, per se, did you find that you went through that or just never even occurred to you that would be a way of being that
1: would fit with you? Oh, no, I lost all that. It happened way before being an adult. It happened probably in my teenage years is when I started getting really, really serious about everything because my ego still loved the validation and the approval of making people laugh. I was still a class clown and I was still making people laugh, but outwardly making people laugh doesn't necessarily equate to any inner sense of joy right? Like you get the fleeting little dopamine spikes when you see people respond favorably to the way you show up, but it doesn't actually give you any kind of sustained sense of joy. I would say starting in high school, maybe it was earlier, but my earliest memories of being like super serious was high school. And that just kept getting heavier going through into college. And then of course, yes, then being an adult. And this is what I was always told, like, you know, if you're going to be serious in your career, you need to do this. If you ever want to be in a serious relationship, you better do this. And when I was super overweight, you better get serious about your health or you're going to die before you're 50. It was just like, everything is always so serious. And like, never did somebody say something with the word serious and me respond and saying, well, cool. That sounds like fun. Like it was always like a, Oh God, I have to do this. This is a big, heavy, crazy thing that kind of went on in my life until probably in my late 20s is when i really started feeling like this sucks i don't want to be so serious all the time
0: god you know when you were talking about this i actually hadn't realized how often we're told that like in our society you know serious relation are you in a serious relationship You need to take your health. I've never seen that. Like, I've never really taken note of that. But you've said it so clearly. No wonder we become serious, everything so seriously.
1: Yeah, and the intention behind it is fairly sound. But the energy and the word choice, I think, distracts from the validity of the message. So one of the distinctions I make a lot is I talk about playfulness and, and I have, you know, my signature program is playful prosperity. And people think it's all about like, how do you play more? And like, how do you throw a Frisbee in the middle of the day? Because that's going to make your business better. Like, that's great. If you're into actual physical play and finding ways to play in the world, and that helps you feel better and it helps your business. Great. That's just not my thing. I'm not somebody who goes out and like plays games. And so I'm not somebody who coaches people around like, let's figure out ways to throw your dirty clothes in the hamper, like it's a basketball hoop. And now we've made everything fun. It has nothing to do with that. It's about bringing a spirit of play to the things you're doing. And a spirit of play means having more levity and less weight and bringing a sense of humor and bringing a sense of curiosity and creativity. It's playing with the interpretations and the stories and the explanations of things that are going on around us, instead of defaulting to a very serious way of being, which is freeing because... It could be difficult to say like, oh, somebody in my family just was diagnosed with cancer. How can I make a game out of that? It's like, well, no, I'm not, you don't need to make a game out of things to be playful. It's about saying, how can I lighten my spirit so that I can handle these things in a way that serves me instead of a way that debilitates me?
0: Yeah. Thank you for that distinction because often it can be seen as really trite when you're like, yeah, everything's a game to you, right? <laughs> are these game to you and grow up like these things that we're it's not a game to me what i've seen and what i'm hearing it that you say is that actually lightheartedness is actually the soul's way of communicating to us i remember having a conversation with a mentor of mine about my divorce and she said you know the souls already healed it really impacted me because what i heard and what she said was that The soul can never be destroyed. It can never be broken and it can never be hurt. And it always brings a lightness to the situation. There's a sense of fun and joy because that's our innate state, right?
1: Right. Yeah, it's true. And we think that by being serious and being really tense, you know, tense is kind of, I think, even a more, it maybe feels more real. People can relate, I think, to tension. Like you feel tension in your body or or a situation feels tense. Like tense is a word that comes up a lot. And I think we have a belief. I've had the belief for a long time that I needed to be tense in order to create what it is I want to create in order to be successful. I need to be serious. I need to be tense. I need to have a very tight grip and lots of control over every element of the situation I'm in if I'm going to be successful with that thing. And the trouble with that is that, number one, it's not sustainable. And number two, it's not accurate. And that's the bigger thing. It's not right or wrong. I would never say like being serious and being tense is wrong. If being serious and tense works for you, and you feel good, and that system is giving you the result you want, both inner and outer world, then it's the perfect system for you, and I wouldn't change it. For me, that system didn't work for me, and so I needed to find a new system.
0: So when you say system, what do you mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, a system of thinking. So I had the system of thinking of, like, be serious, be tense, control everything, and I would be successful, right, outer success, that level of of tension control and stress and heaviness correlation, not causation, was able to make well over six figures, have an amazing corporate job in my 20s. And so it made sense to me that the reason I had gotten that was because I was so serious and so tense and so heavy all the time. But I never had the courage to test to see if the opposite would be true. And that's, I think, the problem is that if we have been taught our entire lives and have evidence to show that being serious and tense has led us to be successful, then immediately it makes sense. We would think there is causation between us being serious and tense And being successful. I actually was successful, right? In spite of the fact I was so serious, I was still able to be successful. And so the outward stuff came, but the inner stuff was all screwed up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I was interviewing someone the other day with the same story, which is like she had a really successful business, but every part of her being was screaming no. She was traveling around the world, coaching clients in a five-star hotel, beautiful locations. And you'd think, yeah, I've made it, right? But there was something off, like completely off. Mm -hmm. She had a realization that her outer world wasn't what was giving her the feeling of the inner. So what I'm hearing you say is the same thing, is that there is this sense of like, if I'm successful, then I'm happy. If I'm successful, then I'll have joy. But actually, the opposite is true in that we can be joyful, regardless of the success that we have.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, you know, it's why not cut out the middleman and be happy now?
0: (laughs) Why why wait, right?
1: Yeah, so we start now, we start at point A where we're not happy. We think we're going to get all the stuff and then we're going to be happy. And then we get all the stuff and we're happy for a little while, right? I'm not going to say for a minute having a bunch of money or having a bunch of things doesn't have, again, that kind of spike in dopamine and that spike in your well-being. You say, oh, this is awesome. But then it goes back down again and then we're back at square one all over again. And now we actually, for me, I would get the thing that I wanted and then sometimes I would end up even resenting the thing that I got Because now I'm not able to enjoy it because I'm feeling shit again. And then it starts being a shame thing where it's, why the hell do you feel like shit? You got the thing you wanted. So now it's like, not only did I stress myself to get the thing, and not only is the thing not giving me the sustained joy that I thought it would give me, now it's creating shame in my life for getting the thing to begin with. So it's like, there's no upside to that being the path to happiness. There's no upside. There just isn't.
0: So what happened for you to have that? Like, I'm curious because obviously you speak this now as if you've known it to be true all your life. But we've kind of seen already through your story that that wasn't necessarily true. What was the story behind you waking up to actually that you are the joy you seek?
1: I don't have a moment in time where that happened. There's a moment that I talk about in the first chapter of Prison Break, which is kind of a big part of my story, or it is my story, or at least it is a part of the story. It's not the full story. But the part of the story that was relevant for the book, that there was this point of realization about me not taking personal responsibility for the way my life was unfolding. I had taken personal responsibility for outer world stuff, but not, well, not even for outer world stuff all the way. But I wasn't taking the kind of radical personal responsibility that I now know for me is more effective. And that's what I call self-leadership, right? So I didn't have a word for it back then. I didn't even have responsibility as a word for it back then. But I just knew something was off. And I was, my big mantra in life was, who can I blame, right? It was just like, I was always looking for something outside of me to blame. And my other big mantra was, that's just the way I am. So I was a prisoner to this person who I thought I was, angry, serious, tense, 330 pounds. Like, that's who I am. And on top of that, not only am I a prisoner to all these things, but I also had no role in creating it, right? Who can I blame? So like, I was totally just abdicating all responsibility, absolved myself of any responsibility for any of it. So there was a moment that's in the book there about how that happened and that shift started happening. But as far as the joy thing was concerned, I didn't consciously know, especially from a business perspective, I didn't consciously know that joy was going to be such a big part of what I teach and what I coach around until probably, I mean, maybe two years ago. It's not that the joy wasn't already a part of everything I was doing, but it wasn't a conscious thing for me to say like, oh, wait, there's actually a purposeful role for joy in creating good relationships and building a business and feeling a certain way. Like there's a real purposeful use for joy. That's fairly recent. That's in the last couple of years.
0: So now it begs the question, what is its purpose? My purpose? Its purpose. Oh, its purpose. purpose. Oh,
1: for me, joy, it's so language is... It's my love and it's the bane of my existence because I don't ever want to lock myself in a certain word. So like, again, my program being playful prosperity, as soon as people start saying, oh, you mean like Nerf guns and water balloons? And I'm like, no, that's not what I mean by the word playful. And then we're talking about joy and I'm like, but sometimes I use other words. So I interchange a lot of words. So I interchange playful or spirit of play, joy and enthusiasm, right? So like, those are kind of three words that to me all kind of mean the same thing, or at least they evoke the same thing for me. So the reason I say that is because when you ask what's the purpose of joy, I think things like joy and enthusiasm are the ultimate activators for us to be more creative and to see the ways that we can change the experience we have of life. I feel like that is the activator. That's like the WD-40. It's like the grease. It's the conduit that allows us to go from feeling stuck to feeling like we actually can create something that we're proud of, inner and outer world, as opposed to using tension or fear or anxiety as our motivators. I believe joy and enthusiasm and playfulness as a motivator can actually help us create things a lot easier, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I've just had a beautiful insight. So thank you, Jason.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, can you hear it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had a really beautiful insight. It just took me to a place, you know, as a mom, right, how often because of the conditioning that I've had and I see other mums having that we use threat or we use cajoling or we use those sorts of things as a way to get our children to do what we want them to do. Hmm. And I'm just suddenly hearing that there is another way, which is through play and joy. And, you know, like I've seen this where in the past, I was really uptight with my son when he would run away, but I needed him to come to get in the car. Like just before this podcast is exactly what happened. I needed to change his nappy and he was running around the garden and he wasn't having a bar of it. And I'm like, oh my God, I've got to get on the podcast. And um, we just turned it into a game and I stopped for a moment and just went, oh, wow, things have really changed. And that's kind of the realization I've just had, which is once again is it can actually be those moments where we want someone to do something for us, we can actually do it with intent and play so that it doesn't turn into this very serious thing because I still got the result I was
1: looking for. Right. It's true. It's true. And we're taught to live in a world of permission and compliance. And that is instilled in us from, from a very young age is that we must comply. And the problem with compliance, always being in a place of compliance, is that it kind of takes away the belief that we have a purposeful role in the way our lives turn out. Now, of course, this is not to say that if a two-year-old's running in the street and you say, get over here, get out of the street, that you should be like, No, you know what? I don't want them to live in a world of compliance. I'm gonna let them run into the street all they want to. Like, no, that's stupid. Like, you know, kids need protection when they're young because they don't know any better yet. But it does bring up exactly what you just said. Like, what if modeling joy and enthusiasm is as effective, if not more effective, than modeling fear or stress or punishment when we deal with our children or when we deal with anybody else in the world for that matter.
0: Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, I'm still sitting here going, oh, what a beautiful insight. Playful prosperity. Tell me a little bit more about that because I'm sure that the moms and women who are listening to this podcast, I can't speak for them really, but I'm curious about what it means and someone to come to you. What kind of the things are they struggling with that you've seen playful prosperity can really help them with?
1: Yeah, it's all across the board because here's the thing. It's like having a lighter way of being, having a higher level of consciousness in the way we show up or right? like using our whole brain, which is the only thing that separates us from animals. And that's what happens, right? Like when you talk about people that are, when you meet them or you talk to them, they left you in high spirits, like high, like, you know, levity, lightness. It's all about rising and ascending, right? Like higher levels of consciousness. And when you're in high spirits, it's like you literally are physically higher up and you can see, you know, more things around you than if you have your face against the ground. So playful prosperity to me, it's different for everybody that that comes in the program. But for me, it's how can we get into this relaxed place of high spirits and a higher quality of thinking, and a higher state of mind and a more creative, more innovative place where we are intentionally using our lives instead of letting our lives use us, how can we do that on a more consistent basis, regardless of what shows up in our world? And this is not at all about numbing feelings, it's not about spiritually bypassing, it's not about saying, that person didn't cut me off in traffic, they liberated me from my speed. Like it's not, it's not, meant, to, it's, it's not, it's not meant to be some like Pollyanna, you know, rainbow colored glasses bullshit kind of thing. It's really about saying, listen, given the conditions of the game of life in which I'm playing right now, I got a, you know, parking ticket this morning because I didn't read the sign properly. And, you know, so I got that. And maybe you're late for something, or maybe your spouse says something that you don't want them to say, or maybe somebody said something in a meeting at work that you didn't like. And maybe your kid got suspended from school for bringing a porno magazine. Like, you know, all these conditions of the game in which you're playing, given those conditions, what do you want to create? Right? If these are the conditions of the game that we're being handed right now, and we have the choice to either be used by life or to use life intentionally, how do I intend to show up in this moment and use my life? And so Playful Prosperity helps people do that kind of thing. They come in and say, I'm scared of putting myself out there in the world. I'm scared of being on camera. I have this poor relationship with my spouse or my children, or my boss is such an idiot and he triggers me all the time. Just all these different, I have to be serious. I always feel stressed. I always feel tension. I always feel like I'm ready to snap. I always feel overwhelmed. That's a big one. And it's how can we take all that stuff in and say, cool, given all these conditions of the game that are being thrown to you, tossed to you from the universe all day, every day, what would you like to create from a creative, lighthearted, playful, joyful, enthusiastic space.
0: That's a really great question. And is that the question you asked yourself when you decided to take up the mission of joyful prosperity?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a moment-by-moment thing. And that's something else we talk about in the program all the time. There's no like, you don't go through the program or read my book or do any kind of personal growth stuff and then you're done. It's a moment-by-moment thing. So I actually, I like to say the transformation is instant and lifelong. Right? So it's instant that you can get the insight and go, oh, wow, I get it now. I don't have to be serious to be successful. And then starts the lifelong practice of actually doing that moment by moment as often as you can. So, yeah, so for me, it was just like, how can I help people to do this where they feel lighter, they feel less shame? They can really cope with things as they show up and not have those things debilitate them, even if they feel them like this is not about, again, like I said, never feeling sad, never feeling angry, never feeling hurt. I wouldn't for a minute say that I could create a program to do that because you don't have control over those, you know, just initial fleeting things that pop up. What you have control over is how you respond to those things. And so if I can shorten the window of time for myself or if I can facilitate shortening the window of time for others between the time they're triggered and the time they get really clear on, oh, okay, that's just some instance, some thought that's happening in my head right now and it doesn't define who I am. It's not reality. It's just a story of reality. If I can shorten that window of time for myself or for them, to me, that's successful. That's prosperity in our lives.
0: Yeah, I really hear what you say. So based on what you've just said, it's more about... Like I remember, I used to spend days, maybe even months in a low state, in a mood or a depressive state or angry and upset. What I find now is that those moments are more and more fleeting. They are the exception rather than the norm. The quality of life that you experience when you're shortening those moments or having them be more of a glimpse as opposed to the reality you walk in inevitably makes life more beautiful. Have you found that?
1: Oh, of course. Yeah, because it's not something anymore that I have to fight. Right? Because, like, when I have to fight things and I have to overcome, and that's something you've probably seen a lot too in personal growth. A lot of personal growth up to this point has either been extremely feminine or extremely masculine. Mm-hmm. And the way that I always experienced personal growth when I first got into it was on the masculine side. You're going to push through this and you're going to force through this and you're going to overcome this and you're going to bust through this. And it was always very, like, you know, pushing against things. And there's that exercise, I'll do this on stage sometimes where I'll bring somebody up on stage. And I'll just have them put their hand up. And without giving them any directions at all, I put my hand against their hand and I push and they immediately start pushing back without me saying anything. It's a natural response to the body, to the universe, that if you push against something, it pushes back, right? That's the way physics works. And so that was what I was experiencing, that I would push against all these heavy feelings and push against all this anger and push against all this stress and shame myself for it or blame myself for it or say, what the hell's wrong with you? Why don't you have this stuff figured out by now? And then wonder why it stayed around. I was inviting it constantly to come back in. My mom, who's not a traditionally very funny person, used to make this joke when I was younger. I'm from Florida originally. We had a lot of hurricanes in Florida. Hurricanes were just a staple thing. And there was this occurrence, this weird thing. And I was like a teenager when I remember hearing about this. They had these things called hurricane parties. And hurricane parties were basically a chance for everybody to say, hey, you know, there's a hurricane coming. Let's all go and meet at one house and we'll have food and we'll have drinks and we'll have a little party. And that way we're all together. And we didn't really think the hurricane was coming. And most of the time in Orlando, the hurricane kind of went around us, but we had bad storms. So people would have parties. And I remember my mom saying something at one point that it wasn't that funny to me back then, but now it makes perfect sense. She said, maybe if we stopped having parties for the hurricanes, they would stop coming. And it killed me, right? Because I thought it was like, it was jokey, funny back then. But when I bring it into my awareness today, it's what I know I did for so long with my negative, or I won't even say negative, my heavy thoughts. It's like a heavy thought would pop up and I'd say, oh, you should stay here forever. You're my new best friend and I'm going to brush your hair and I'm going to take you everywhere with me. Yes, I know I suck and I'm ugly and I'm fat and I'm not good enough. I know. Yeah. Tell me more. Tell me all about myself. When really the thought comes in and it's like, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're fat, you're not good enough. And it wants to like go. It just <laughs> it wants to, like, no, 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 I'm not done with you yet. Tell me more. And it's like, if we stopped having parties for the negative thoughts, the heavy thoughts, maybe they would stop sticking around for so long.
0: Jason, I love that. Yeah, totally. Like how much do we feel that negativity? Like how much attention do we put on those things, right? Yeah. So for those of the women that are listening... They may be thinking, okay, great, right? Like, fine. I am aware now that I have all of this seriousness. This, I'm adult now, and take my business seriously, take life seriously. I'm a mother, of course, so I need to. Being a mom is serious business. For them, how is it possible to lighten up a little bit? In the well, this show is all about unplugging from worries and lighting up with joy and insight. So. What are some of the things that you've seen that could be really helpful in terms of just unplugging from the worries and lighting up with joy?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I'm a big advocate of very, very small steps consistently practiced over time. Right? So nobody listening to this has to go from zero to 100. Seriousness to playfulness is not a binary thing. It's not an on or off thing. There's so many different varying levels of degrees. So the last thing I would want anybody to think when they hear this is that they have to go from not being something to being something right? Because it's just not true. Because if you look at it contextually, and this is such a big thing, there's so many people that will all coach, and I'm sure you've heard this too, that say, you know, I'm not a confident person. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. It's binary, right? I have this or I don't have this. It's, it's very binary. But if we really look at it, it's actually contextual. Because if somebody says, I'm not confident, and I say, have you ever asked for a raise? And they said, Oh well, yeah, I asked for a raise. that's not what I mean well okay so let's slow this all down so now when you're not being confident to you have experienced levels of confidence in one context of your life we just want to play with how to bring that over to this context of life so for anybody who's watching says I'm so serious I don't know how to be playful bullshit especially if you have a child I guarantee you can find one moment where you've been playful one single moment where you've been playful guarantee it if you were ever a child yourself which I think everybody listening to this probably was at one point you can find one moment that you were playful. So the first step is to realize you're never going from being serious to being playful. You're going from somebody who maybe more historically has more naturally defaulted to being serious to somebody who's going to practice more naturally defaulting to being a little more playful. And so one of the ways I do that is I talk about what I call the 5% solution. And it's really just asking yourself, if I were to bring 5% more playfulness to this moment... Right? This is not something you like prepare for. You don't stockpile playfulness so that you can use it later on. It's in the moment thing. Something happens, it feels very serious. Your son's running around the garden and won't listen to you. And you start feeling tense and feeling serious and you need to control the situation. And if you feel that tension in your body and you don't want to feel the tension in your body, again, if you want to feel tension and stress, don't do anything I'm saying. It's totally okay to be tense and stress if that works for you. But if you're feeling tension and stress and you're saying, Oh man, I really wish I didn't feel this tension and stress then you may just ask yourself, what would it look like if I brought 5% more playfulness to this moment, right? What would it look like if I brought 5% less seriousness? What would it look like if I tried to exhibit 5% less control over what's happening right now? And anybody can do 5%, Marina. Anybody can do 5%. It's such a small little thing and, and you may not think it's a big deal, but 5% less seriousness, 5% more playfulness, 5% looser of a grip, on control of a situation that's happening in the moment can change everything about how you experience that moment.
0: 5%? I don't even know what 5% looks like.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you won't until you're in the moment, right? Because it's not conceptual. So for me to say like, how would I loosen my grip 5% when I'm holding a pen? Conceptually, I don't know. But if I hold a pen in my hand and I'm squeezing it very tightly and I say, what would 5% less tension look like? Well, then I kind of feel like, okay, well, that that feels like about 5%, right? Like I've kind of loosened my grip a little bit. I know what it feels like there. So when we try to do anything conceptually, it's always going to feel more daunting than actually just doing it in the moment. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, I do, I do. So what have you seen? Aside from the fact that it can actually give you a much richer quality of life, I'm curious about some of the results because I'm sure that there are results that come from living this way. What have you seen? What are some of the surprises that you've seen for yourself and also for maybe some of your clients?
1: Yeah, for me, it's been, and it keeps happening all the time, but anytime I'm able to be a little more relaxed, I see solutions to problems that I never would have seen before so if I have this like, crazy thing like, oh, you know, I, I got to launch this program and I got to figure out how to get you know, 100 people in it. And I'm just, oh, what do I do? What should I post on Facebook? And oh, I don't know what to post. Maybe I should send an email to my list. And like, I'm all stressed out and serious. And as soon as I start challenging those thoughts, as soon as I start asking myself, okay, what would it look like if I was 5% less serious about this whole thing? Right? One of my favorite questions to ask clients, and I have to do it very gently, is, is there any chance in the world you're taking this just a little bit too serious? No, so that's, that's it. Isn't. No, not at all. Never, never at all. This is exactly what I'm supposed to do. so so I asked myself the same question I'm like all right Jason is there any chance to taking this a little too seriously. And as soon as I do that and I get into this place where I have like the the 5 Cs that I try to live by as much as possible. It's clear, calm, conscious, courageous, and creative.
0: That's a lot to remember.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot to remember. But it's a feeling, right? So I know it's like one of those things. It's like, you don't need to know the physics behind fire to know that if something's feeling kind of hot, you don't put your body or your face closer to it right you kind of just you have a sense so if I'm feeling off I know that there's something about me that's not clear that's not calm that's not courageous that's not conscious that's not creative like I know there's something off that's an easy way for me to have a framework around it but you just feel it you don't need to have like the five-step process on a laminated card and you first <laughs> So, so so you so if I really seriously right yeah exactly
0: yeah that's
1: said So step number one, like, no, you have a life, you don't have time to be pulling out flashcards every time you get stressed out. So or maybe you do. And if that works for you, great. But that's the key for me is like, when I get really stressed out about something like that, for example, it's like, okay, what if I had 5% looser of a grip? What if I really just relaxed into 5% more calmness? and 5% more clarity, and 5% more consciousness, or 5% more, you know, being more courageous. And when my thoughts start to settle, you can see one of them. I have a snow globe here behind me, and there's more snow globes back here. But I love snow globes because they're such a beautiful metaphor for how the mind works. And when a snow globe is really shaken up, it's beautiful from the outside, on the inside, it looks like shit. You can't see anything. Like if you were the little man or woman standing inside of a snow globe, but it's shaken up, you literally can't see your hand in front of your face because you're just, everything's going crazy. And that's the chaos that it feels like in our mind. And we think it's our responsibility to grab every little piece of snow in the snow globe and put it on the ground so that we can finally be peaceful. But that's not something we need to take responsibility for. If the snow in a snow globe is going crazy and has been shaken up, the easiest and most effective thing to do to get the snow to settle is just to put the snow globe down right? Just to put it on the table and back away from it. So when I get really caught up in my thinking, and I know now, I didn't know this for years, I know now that anytime I'm stressed out or sad or anxious or anything else, that I'm just caught up in my thinking, that my mind is just racing. And if my mind wasn't racing, I wouldn't feel this way because my thoughts directly dictate how I feel. When I can let the snow globe settle a little bit, and my body kind of settles a little bit, and then I go, oh, actually, I guess I could just post this on Facebook or actually I sent an email to my list last year about this exact thing. I probably can just go reuse that email and all of a sudden like, Oh, and I could call this person. I bet they'd be really willing to help me. And all these opportunities to fix the problem show up that just, there was no space for before. So the results come in the form of innovative solutions to things that you would have never thought you had a solution for. It comes in the form of having this feeling of real confidence, for me at least, a lot of the people I work with are coaches or speakers or online educators, is to get past this fear of you know, putting yourself out there and sharing your message because it's no longer that big of a deal. It just isn't significant. So when I talk about living a not-so-serious life, I'm not talking about, like I said earlier, you know, throwing water balloons or shooting people with Nerf guns all day. I'm talking about living in a place where the things you're doing can be important to you, but they're not that significant. They're just not that big of a deal.
0: Yeah. I love the snow globes analogy. I heard that years ago, actually, for the first time, four and a half years ago now, when I got to see the same insight as you, which is that I'm always feeling my thinking moment to moment. And What I loved about the snow globe was also that I didn't need to do anything to make it settle in that it does it on its own if you leave it. And that's just exactly how our mind works. If we're caught in a thought storm, you know, just like the weather, at some point the sun comes out, it always comes out. And there's clarity with that. Like if you notice the freshness, you know, the environment looks like to you outside, it's always really clear and crisp and cut after a big storm. And so there is this sense of like, I don't actually need to do anything. I just need to wait possibly until the idea comes or I speak to someone or through that conversation, the idea comes and then boom. I mean, this whole podcast was born from that. And so Mm. it can take you in a completely different direction, which I guess is creativity, right? It's from nothing comes everything. Like you two years ago didn't even know that you were going to be teaching about playful prosperity.
1: Right, exactly. There's some magic. And there's this interesting intersection, again, since I primarily work with entrepreneurs and coaches and people like that, there's this interesting intersection of planning and purposefulness. And essentially, there's an intersection of being active and passive. And it can be very easy to say like, well, since things just unfold the way they unfold, I can sit on my couch and wait for the thing to unfold. And it doesn't actually work that way, right? I mean, there's a high involvement, low attachment kind of thing, right? High engagement, low attachment. So I want to be a verb in my life. I don't want to be a noun. I don't want to be passive. (laughs) I love that. As much as possible, I want to be a verb. And for me, that's the thing. It's like, if I can show up and do the work and leave space for things that I couldn't possibly imagine to occur, then things tend to work out better for me. But again, when I try to have full control and full tight grip over everything, if I'm successful, it's because I got lucky.
0: I'm going to have to use that. I want to be a verb in my life. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a real thing. And here's the thing too, is that like when we talk about the snow globe, we talk about our mind settling. One of the things that I'll hear people say sometimes, and I'm sure this happens with busy moms as well, but people in general, which have a lot on their plate and there's a lot going on. They say, well, I don't have the time to sit there for 20 minutes and let the snow globe settle. And that's beautiful. So first of all, if you can create the time to have some kind of a meditation practice or something that allows your mind to purposefully be turned off for a little while, that's great. But here's the beautiful thing is that You don't have to stop anything you're doing for the snow globe to be settled, right? So like, if the snow globe is shaken up, I can put the snow globe down and let it settle while I go do dishes and laundry and everything else. I don't need to stop my life in order for the snow globe to settle. So while you may take a minute, and I will do this as a visualization sometimes, I would literally take 30 to 60 seconds and picture a shaken up snow globe. And watch the snow settle in my head. And sometimes I'll even pick one piece of snow in my mind and follow it all the way down until it settles. And then when it's done, I'll go pick another piece of snow and follow that one down until it settles. And literally 30 seconds to a minute, my thinking is slowed down. But even if you don't have that minute, it's a matter of saying, oh, cool. I'm sped up in my thinking. I'm going to put that in a crock pot and let it simmer in the background and do whatever it does. And I'm going to get back to doing the outer world thing that I was already doing. Right. So I'm going to have this kind of SFW, this like, so fucking what? Like, my mind's super sped up right now. So fucking what? I don't need to pay attention to that. It can do what it does. It'll calm down on its own. And I'm going to get back to doing whatever work that I'm doing in the world.
0: Yeah. I totally see that as well. And I totally see that's such a relief to know that's how it works. Because long gone are the days where you have to control everything outside of you to give you a feeling of joy. Right there yeah. is you can be joyful regardless of the circumstances regardless of what's going on in your life and i know when things shit hit the fan and you are in it it's really hard to see that right but to know that our innate state is joy for me is such a huge revelation and brings so much hope to this taking our life so seriously and the shame and the not being good enough, just all the other stuff that we bring with into adulthood that actually is just snow. <laughs> it's,
1: it's, yeah. it's
0: not much more than that.
1: It's harmless. And we know it's not real. It's very hard. I think it was uh, George Pransky who had this talk he did with somebody, he was talking to somebody about kind of the, the nature of thought and, and things of that nature and And uh, and he was telling this person, what you're experiencing is not real, you're experiencing your thinking. And so the person said, so you're telling me it's a mirage, that it's not real? And Pransky says, well, it's a convincing mirage, but it's not real. It is very convincing. You know, I hate when people just go to people who don't have any understanding of this or haven't really heard anything about this and just tell them, it's just your thinking. That's not super helpful, especially when you're in the shit. It's so funny how, like, people say certain things are cliche. They're cliche because they stand the test of time and there's some validity. That's why they're cliche. But I was thinking about this last night is that so much of the work that I do in, like, trying to help people relax is really tied to the old adage of this too shall pass. It's such a cliche thing to say, but, like, everything that we're experiencing is transient. And that whole, like, this too shall pass. Just noticing that that is potentially true, if you are willing to see that whatever this thing is that's stressing you out may pass at some point on its own, that alone can be super free.
0: There's something that came to mind, but I wanted to contract back to conduit. Yet this idea of conduit, that we are life lifing that we have this power to come up with something out of nothing and then act then bring it into creation, which is creativity. Mm -hmm. Because it can be like, do you have clients where they say, I'm just not creative. I'm just not very good at being creative. Because there may be listeners that think the same thing. Is that not creative or they're not creative enough? Yeah, I'd really like you to speak to that.
1: Yeah, I hear that from people all the time. And again, it's just a thing that's not true. It's more about redefining what creativity means. Because I think early on, the creative people are the singers, the actors, the dancers, the painters. And so that to me is creative with a small C versus creative with a big C, which is that we are literally creating our lives with every word, with every action, with every thought, with every behavior, with every response, with every reaction. Like We are literally creating our world day by day. So if anybody thinks they're not creative, I would look at the home you are in. I would look at the clothes you are wearing. I would look at the children or child that you have because you played an active role in creating either the exact thing that you're looking at or the means by which you obtained that thing that you own or that you have or that you have possession of. So to say you're not creative, especially in that way, I think it's way more creative that at some point you were able to figure out that you had some skill that was valuable enough for somebody else to part with money to give to you, that then you found a way to take that money and find somebody else with a good or a service that you wanted to exchange that money with them so that you could possess something that you wanted or you desired. That whole creative process to me is way more creative than being able to tap dance. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> you had it here first. Yeah, like, you know, I, my partner, he's been fixing my pool first world problem. The gutter was way too small. So all the water was flowing out, actually being the water source for all of my plants, but also being a massive headache when it came to the bill in the summertime. So it was leaking money basically. And this had to end. So he decided to help me out and sort it for me. We found the leak. But in the meantime, he took out the roof. It was kind of like a roof gutter. And so he used it so now we have an incredibly beautiful allotment, which we basically put earth into these plastic tubes. And he's got three of them now, and he's stuck them to, against this wood frame. And so we planted lettuce, tomatoes, onions.
1: That's awesome
0: yeah and you know, like not only was that sort of it came from nothing into something, but also it's in a way in which now I can connect with my son. So he planted some of the stuff and he's now you know he goes out to see if they've grown. I had an insight about this, which was creation is our innate, it's absolutely a hundred percent innate. Creativity is a hundred percent. This is how we were created. you and me and my son, and everybody else, it was due to creation.
1: That's Amen. <laughs> we are the, we are, we are the meta-creators. No other creation is possible unless we do the meta-creation of creating the human beings who will then create other things. Like, we are the ultimate creators. And sure, you can say whatever you want as far as, like, a universal power or religious or spiritual or whatever else, but we still are an integral part of that equation.
0: Yes. We are conduits. We so are. we can bring these nothings into form, into manifestation, into life. We are conduits for that. And that really excites me. And if anybody's listening, I hope this is exciting you too. Because it means that we have incredible power to bring in whatever we want into being. And from a place of deep, it's almost like this lightness. Like there are certain things that I've attempted in my business that haven't worked out. But with this podcast, it feels so different. It was like this moment of inspiration. It's inspired action pretty much most, if not all of the time. Mm. And that to me is very new. And I don't know where it's going, but I don't need to know right now. And that's the beauty of this, right? You don't need to know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's something really powerful in what you just said is that there's this... What I'm hearing from you about the podcast is that you just have this willingness to show up and let it be what it's going to be and and i think that willingness is so powerful for people that are listening and, you know are you willing to be wrong about not being creative are you willing to be able to choose happiness because some people will say no their first reaction will always be well yes of course i'm willing to choose happiness but if they really slow down they may say to themselves actually, am I willing to choose happiness? Or do I really think that I have to wait until something else happens for me to feel happy? Like the willingness part is so key. So what you're doing with the podcast is really showing a sense of willingness. I'm willing to see where this goes. And so we can ask ourselves every day, like, am I willing to be wrong about some assumption I have about the world just for today, right? Like in my tribe, we have a lot of hashtags. One of the hashtags is JFT, right? Hashtag JFT, just for today. Am I willing just for today to be wrong about something that I have thought was always a certain way? Am I willing to suspend my beliefs about what it takes to be happy just for today? And then be really honest with yourself because if you say yes, you will feel an immediate shift, right? But it has to be a truthful yes. It has to be a truthful yes.
0: I'm sure there are things in your life, Jason, that used to make sense for you, but now they make absolutely no sense. Like where nonsense comes from, right? (laughs) Right. And it's um, yeah, it's just nonsense. It's just doesn't make sense yeah. to you anymore. So this beating yourself up, this taking life way too seriously, just stop making sense.
1: Right, right. And it doesn't mean I don't still do it, right? Because that's the thing. It's the human experience, right? And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to teach all this stuff is because it's still my own work. Anyway. It's your team, if I ever get to a point where I go through an entire day where I don't have a single prisoner moment or a single serious thought, I'm I'm going to change careers. I'm going to change messages because it means that I'm not meant to be teaching that anymore. But I think it is this kind of thing where it's now you just recognize it more often. When something feels off, you notice that's like the little gas gauge on the dashboard of your car that's saying, hey, just so you know, something may be a little off right now. Maybe you should slow down and kind of check in with this. And then I slow down and check in and I go, oh, I'm doing that thing again. I call this my Britney Spears moment. I say, oops, I did it again. Right. And it's this moment where I say, you know, this thought popped in my head and I'm believing this thought and I'm taking this thought seriously and I'm attached to the thought like before, just holding on to it for dear life. And when I have that realization in the moment, it starts to lessen the pressure and lessen the heaviness. And it doesn't take me nearly as long to get out of that place and back up to a high state of consciousness.
0: I really would love you to do a rap.
1: Oh, I have a rule. I don't do any raps on podcasts. I would love to, but it's a rule I have. Maybe I need to be willing to be wrong about my rule. Uh, But but that is something I reserve for very specific audiences. And so to keep my integrity intact, I will not be rapping today. Now, if you want me to wrap some presents, I can go see if I have (laughs) some wrapping paper and some tapes and we can wrap presents together
0: that's such a shame because really jason you are so talented when it comes to rapping i mean i've just was blown away if somebody wants to see the rap is there any way that they can access that
1: i did one i don't think they've professionally ever recorded it but i did one at another mind valley event in california last year and several people recorded it just from the audience. So I can try to find a link to one of those and send it to you. So if you want to put that in the show notes, then people can go check that out.
0: I would love to. Yeah. I just really want people to see your talent. Yeah. Like why hide that and go for it? Yes. Yes, please. Please, please. Thank you.
1: (laughs) I will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. My pleasure.
0: So one of the things I love to ask my guests is what are you giving yourself permission to do more of Jason these days?
1: It's an interesting question because I don't believe in permission. So I'm trying to figure out how I can reframe that for myself.
0: So I guess and maybe another way is, what are you letting yourself do more of these days that you're finding yourself doing more of that maybe you weren't doing so much of in the past?
1: I think leaning even more into the power that I have to help people inject their personality into their business. Because it's always been something where, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but for me, anything that comes too easily to me, I think probably is not a big deal for anybody else. They probably know how to do it as well. It's not super valuable to help people in that way. And the more and more I've been talking to people and getting reflections from them about how, you know, we see your stuff, there's just so much of your personality in it. And we don't feel that from so many other people that are online. And I don't know how to not do that. But if there's something that you do in your world that just comes that easily and you don't know how you could not do it, it's probably a good sign that's something to lean into in a way you can help others. So I've been pushing that away a lot for probably the last year. And now in the last few months, I've really started owning that and finding ways to actually you know, provide that as a service to people. So that's been interesting to explore. How do I teach something that comes very naturally to me? That's an interesting thing to explore.
0: You know, it's so weird because literally this afternoon, I was thinking to myself, actually, I was like, Huh, I'm sure there are loads of people that can interview really well on podcasts. And I'm sure there's lots of people that do this really, really well, but I'm loving it. Like it's something that I seem to innately do quite well. And I was like, is there value in that? So it's cool that because I'm like, any things that you do so easily without even thinking is obviously where you don't have any insecurity around. So it's just something that comes to you and it flows with you because, like, you're rapping, for example.
1: Now, that doesn't come easy. The delivery of rap may look like it comes easy, and it does because I've cultivated it for, you know, 20 years. But the writing of raps is one of the most challenging things that I've ever done. It's not something that you just kind of knock out in five minutes. You know, a one minute rap that I'll do on stage may have taken me three or four weeks to write.
0: Beautiful. Well, the way you deliver it is pretty effortless as far as that feels
1: effortless to me now. Yeah, for sure.
0: But what I realized recently is that. Because you do something so innately, like for anyone that's listening, anything that you do innately, anything that comes easy to you, is going to be of huge value to other people. Because where you see something super clear and you have no thought around it, they may be in a lot of thinking around it. And so that's why they don't find it easy. It's a bit like the business owner that's so clear about growing a business, they have clarity around that. Or buying businesses, for example to the person who is really clear on sales, and they do that really well, or the person that is extremely good at just being with people or processing something super quick. like Those things we don't place value on, but that's value exchange, right? Where you really excel, that can be hugely valuable for other people and you can get paid for that.
1: Absolutely. I 1000% agree. Yeah, it's that if there's something that comes really easy to you, this is why I tell people that they're always trying, especially with business, they're always trying to figure out and they're told by a lot of coaches, not wrong, just not as effective for me. You got to get out of your comfort zone. Here's you and growth is you know, out here and, you know, in the ether. And for me, I tried that when I first started my business five years ago, this business five years ago. What I came to the realization of is that actually the place where I want to play is the intersection, Venn diagram, the intersection between my comfort zone and my genius zone, right? I want to be in the intersection of my comfort zone and my genius zone because if I'm in my genius zone, which is something I do that feels really powerful and I do it better than anybody else, let's assume we're not going to check, but I feel like I do it better than most people. And I can layer on top of that my comfort zone where I don't have any distracted thinking around doing what's in my genius zone then I actually have the potential to make tons more impact than if I'm wasting a bunch of energy trying to get out of my comfort zone for growth's sake. Now, in the inner world stuff, yes, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. That also doesn't have to be a big deal and it doesn't have to be serious. It can be a relaxed, you know, out of your comfort zone. It doesn't have to be a massive, you know, bulldozer out of your comfort zone. But as far as what you're creating in the outer world, screw getting out of your comfort zone. Find that, that over that intersection of genius zone and comfort zone and then go all in on that.
0: And for someone that's listening going, okay, what would be my genius zone? How would they be able to find it?
1: There's a lot of ways to find it. I mean, One of the shortcut ways that I'll say is, first of all, you can look at now what comes to you very easily and naturally, like we were just talking about. But if you want to go back a little further, there's two other things you can look at. And they both were true for me, which was really helpful. Number one, what were you praised for and loved for as a kid? And what did you get in trouble for as a kid? (laughs) right? Because those two things will very, very often point to what your genius zone is. I was in trouble all the time for being a class clown and for being over the top. And I also was always very loved and validated by people for being with them and showing empathy and loving on them, like even as a kid. And so those two things are really the core essence of my genius zone is empathy and like performance and humor. And that's become my genius zone. And then my comfort zone is more about how I put that genius zone into effect. So what I was told in the beginning was, okay, great. Nobody said this, but like, let's just assume I knew what my genius zone was. Now get out of your comfort zone to put it out there. So if you're really afraid of like, calling people on the phone and exercising your genius zone, then you need to call people on the phone. And I tried that and it always felt really stressful for me. And so I took a step back and said, well, hold on a second. If my goal in getting people on the phone is to genuinely connect with them, where do I genuinely connect with people that's in my comfort zone? And I started looking and kind of peeking into this and seeing where I've been able to connect with people. And that's when I realized again, probably four years ago, that I was really good with sending extremely heartfelt messages to people either over email or over Facebook. And I said, well, that doesn't feel edgy for me at all. So I can exercise my genius zone of humor and empathy through the channel of Facebook or emails, which feels super comfortable to me. And that will get me the same outcome of connecting with people genuinely and authentically that people told me I had to get on the phone to do. So I started practicing that instead. And then all of a sudden, I had so many more people that wanted to have an experience of my coaching. And then we would get on the phone and have a coaching call. But it was never like a marketing or a sales call. I used what was comfortable for me and what was my genius zone to attract people into my world.
0: You know, Jason, I love that because so often we think that we have to do what everybody else is doing. But you took some time to just reflect on what was right for you. It's interesting that you brought up the whole kind of going back to childhood because with this podcast, I kind of bang on about it. But for me, it was a real light bulb moment. It was really interesting because I had a dream about being auditioned for a movie that Jack Black was creating. And I was given the small cameo role and I wasn't given the lead part. And I woke up that next morning, sort of spurned on a few more memories about what I used to do as a child. And whenever I did the acting side and I loved acting, I was always given the cameo role. I was always given the funny part. I was always given mm. the derbrain mafiosi part or the, you know, small role that made people laugh. And I reflected on that and I was like, oh. Why don't I bring more of that into what I do? Because I don't really, I bring on this very serious coach and that's not who I am. I'm much more fun and upbeat and funny and I love to laugh and I love to have a good time. And actually that was all that came from the joy of being. That was when this kind of all came together and I was like, I want to create a space where people light up with joy through the infusion of joy that I have with the people that I'm interviewing because I want to bring more of that into my work. So yeah, it is that, right? It is sort of looking back and being a bit of a detective to see what you used to do and what you used to excel at when you were a kid. But getting yeah. into trouble, I like that. I like the fact <laughs> that you also use that too.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just another angle. But I, I love what you found though, because what it sounds like, what I think I'm hearing, is that, and this is something else I didn't know was a skill until it was reflected to me. And I think this is something that may be helpful for you even, is it is a tremendous skill to be the kind of person that can make other people look really good. Right. So, if okay. you are in, oh, it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. Right. Because here's the thing is that, like, if you're put in one of those roles, you know, and they, they call it supporting cast. Right. Like, that's what they call, like, the people who are not the primary character, they're the supporting cast. They're not supporting the cameraman. They're supporting the person who is meant to be, to look a certain way, who's meant to carry a certain story. And so, if the goal is to really extract a certain kind of wisdom or to inspire people or to spread joy or to do whatever these things are that are really your main outcomes for the podcast, then who better to be the conduit to extract all that, to be the supportive person who can make that person feel so comfortable and look so good that they pour everything that they have into the interview? What better service could you provide in the role that you have than that?
0: Wow, Jason, (laughs) thank you so much. Thank you for the insight.
1: (laughs) You're welcome. And yeah, I know you're amazing at this. This is perfect. Yeah. I'll send
0: you the bill. $20 coaching session. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. You're so welcome. Thank Thank you. you.
0: my love If people want to get in contact with you, and my God, I could carry on speaking to you all afternoon, but I know that. You've got things to do and um, the podcast is not supposed to be longer than an hour. Um, how can they get in contact with you?
1: They can definitely head over to playfulprosperity.com. You can get some information about me there. And also what I want to do soon, Marina, is for your guests or for your attendees rather and, and your listeners, I'd love to give you guys a free copy of Prison Break. So I will give you a dedicated link that's just for you guys, a private link, where you can get a free digital copy, an Audible copy, which is me actually reading it, which is actually kind of funny. Or if you're in the States, you can get a free paper copy. Do you rap? I don't don't rap, but I do voices. I do funny voices. So funny voices may be worth it. Even if you don't listen to the whole book, download the book and listen to the about the author section. Because that's probably the funniest thing in the entire book is me reading the about the author section. So I will give you a link for that that you can put in the show notes, and you guys can get a free copy of that. And I hope <laughs> you oh, I'm not gonna get my rap. I was. Um, you're not gonna, right gonna here. get your rap. Uh, it's also a context thing. I think there's a different context. It's almost like if you knew a heart surgeon was also a masterful chef, you wouldn't ask as he was stitching up the heart patient, "Hey, can you cook me a stir fry while you're over there?" It's a different context that I have to be in a different mind frame to deliver.
0: I don't see it that way. I get the surgeon and the food. Yeah. But with you, with your rapping, to me, it's so about what we're talking about. The context for me kind of makes sense. However, you know, (laughs) I'm not here to cajole you or convince you to do something you don't want to do. That's not my purpose for this. But it was just like where my come from was and why. Because as a cheerleader and as someone that supports the main role, yeah, it's just such a talent that you have. That's why. That's all.
1: Well, I'll send you the link and then people can watch it. That way they can watch it over and over and over again to their hearts (laughs) can
0: Oh, Jason, thank you so much for this amazing... I was going to say audition, but it wasn't. It was an interview.
1: (laughs) Call an audition too if you want. Did I get the part?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you did, even without doing the rap. Um, Sweet. Success. (laughs) You get to be you again. Um, Awesome. So thank you. And I hope for everybody else that tuned in, they had enjoyed it as much as I did and as much as Jason did, hopefully.
1: <laughs> I did. I enjoyed it a ton. And I thank you so much for the work you're doing and for inviting me on. It was an absolute blast. You rock.
0: So until the next time, bye-bye for now. And there you have it. Another wonderful episode of The Joy of being. If you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful, why not subscribe or share the podcast with others? And if you're curious as to how you can experience more joy in your life and feel carefree, then I invite you to download your Joy Catalyst Scorecard at www.marinaperson.com scorecard, which will help you identify the joy gaps and what you can do to fill them. And remember, you can find me on Instagram at marina Pearson or my Facebook group, joy of being. So until next week's episode, remember you are the joy you seek.